0: Now, if you're in first service band, that nah, doesn't count. Nah, you did get it right the first time, but not the second time. I have in my grubby little hands here a shiny nickel. I know, I know. It used to be a shiny dime, but i got two services now, so you got to do what you can. i got, a, I got a, a shiny nickel here for the first person that can tell me what national holiday... We celebrated last week, big national holiday. First person. Really close. Whoa, no, was that really a holiday or? Husbands make dinner day, hmm. I missed that one. (laughs) (laughs) Oops, get it next year, I guess, yeah. All right, anyone else? Uh, Anyone else for the uh, right answer, perhaps? Oh, 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 wait, wait, what now? Heard it? Who said it? Reformation, Reformation Day. Happy Reformation Day. There's a, Oh, intercepted. There you go. <laughs> Happy Reformation Day. Huh? Anyone? Yeah. yeah. Now, Reformation Sunday or Reformation Day actually is where Halloween came from. What happened was uh, they started uh, in, the, in the history of things, After the Reformation happened, they had this time that on Reformation Day you used to dress up as your favorite saint. Then they had a thing kind of contour to that called All Hallows Eve, now known as little known fact, little known fact, uh, normie, uh, that it's Halloween. That's where that came from. That they dressed up as your favorite devil or whatever on the previous night. Uh, Obviously, the Reformation Sunday has or the Reformation Day has kind of lost its impact. Here's There's Martin Luther. If there was a camera, that's uh, probably what he would have looked like or close to it. If you haven't seen that movie, I highly encourage you to see the movie Luther. Uh, You'll understand a lot about your own faith, I think, by understanding the the journey of Luther. Martin Luther came to a point in his life where he was reading through parts of the Bible. um, And and in fact, Martin Luther became a monk before he ever even saw a Bible. But certain things, he saw a phrase called, The righteousness of God will be revealed. Righteousness, the same word in the Greek, and I think he was reading Greek or Latin. I'm not sure which one that that, uh, Luther was reading, but one of those two. And the original language is the same word as justice. They're the same word. And so the justice of God will be revealed. And Martin Luther said that's the worst news in the world. The worst news in the world is that God is just. Because if he's just, I'm toast. And if you watch the movie, there's a point in the, the movie where he's sitting in his... cell, basically. It's this place where monks, where it's this little tiny room where he's just freaking out because he realizes he's under the condemnation of God. And he reads on in Galatians and in Romans and it hits him that, in fact, I'm not saved because of how good I am. I'm not made righteous with God because of how good I am. What happens is Jesus Christ died on the cross And he took my sin. But not only did he take my sin, but he gives me his righteousness. It's called the great exchange. The the, the flip happens. When Christ died, he gives to all those who will trust in him and put faith in him, he gives them his righteousness. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, on judgment day, I got good news for you, you're going to be judged according to the deeds of Jesus. That is a good deal. Because there ain't nothing wrong there. Oh, I see you healed somebody. I see, yeah, okay, I'll take it. I got it all. That's mine. And what Jesus, what his death, he took my sin. Calvary, when he died, he took everyone who trusts in him. He took their sin. It's a great exchange. Luther got a hold of that fact. That simple fact that I just said to you in not even 30 seconds changed the world. Luther hung his 95 theses, 95 different things that he had against the established church at that time. It happened to be the Catholic church. It was primarily the only major church. He hung it on this door. It would have been similar to this door, the, the Wittenberg door, and he would have hung it there. You know, and, and a lot of times you see pictures of this. It's the only thing posted. This is an accurate description. There's a lot of things posted. Anybody who wanted to put you know, room for rent or, or we're having this gathering here or there's going to be a discussion about this or somebody's angry about that, it was just kind of a bulletin board. So don't, the door to the church was more of a bulletin board. So him nailing it there was the place to nail it. He hung his 95 theses, which were, anybody know what the main point he had? Against, uh, against Catholicism at that time? What was the main problem? There you go. There you go. You, you, you got the wrong holiday, but you got the right answer. Oh, it wasn't you. It was right next door. Sorry to... You do sit next to a smart people. All right. So it was indulgences. In other words, what the Catholic Church at that time was doing, they were trying to build a new cathedral. And so what they did to raise money was they figured out a way to say, hey, listen, why don't you just pay money? You can give money, and then we'll give you a little slip of paper. And what that little slip of paper is, is it forgives you of your sin. You give some money, you get a little slip of paper. And what they were doing is saying, you know what, just because we need to raise the money now, why don't you give us money showing that you're really sorry for your sin that you haven't even yet committed? So you can have these kind of like get out of jail free cards, so you can just have them and, and use them at your, at your discretion. And Luther was like, uh, hello, that is horrible. We're selling forgiveness? Oh my goodness. And so he had about 95 things to say about that. And if you read them, they're fascinating. Most of them are on this issue of indulgences. It changed the world. It started in Germany on Reformation Sunday, October 31st, 1517. It spread from Germany all over the place. And then it hit England and it didn't go. It didn't go very well at all until what happened. Let's see, if you guys, how well you know your history here. What started the Reformation, what they call the English Reformation in England? Anybody? Thank you. Very good, said Johnny. King Henry VIII wanted to get divorced. That's a no-no in the Catholic Church. But he thought, I want to get divorced. So he went to one of his spiritual advisors and he said, I'm thinking about getting a divorce. And the guy... German Lutheranism had come over and it so impacted this guy who he was getting the advice from that the guy said something radical and he said this don't ask the Pope ask us now the Pope didn't like that a whole lot okay and so uh, when King Henry didn't ask the Pope whether or not he could get a divorce or an annulment <clears throat> whatever you call it there was a a, a re, the Reformation spread to England and it called, called what happened the English Reformation. King Henry. Now he's an interesting duck and yes, to start a denomination based on the fact that you want to get divorced is you know kind of a little bit whack to begin with but that's how the Anglican Church got its beginnings and now it's known as the Episcopal Church here is it was part of the Reformation. These guys viewed King Henry's uh, wanting to get a divorce as, as a ripe environment to bring in some of the concepts of, of Luther. And Luther's main concept <clears throat> was that it was not by what you did, it was not by how good of a person you were, if you were a member of the church, or anything like that, that got you right with God. It was one thing. Faith. Did you trust? Are you trusting in Christ? And it's, it's got a phrase called sola fide, which means alone faith. That concept changed the world. It spread over to England. King Henry VIII, though himself was you know, kind of an interesting duck, he allowed it to start there. King Henry VIII had a, had a son, Edward, who was sympathetic to what was now being called the Protestants for their, their protesters. He was sympathetic to them, but then he all, King Henry also had a daughter by the name of Mary. Queen Mary. Have you heard of the boat? Queen Mary. <clears throat> Another name. <clears throat> Excuse me. Another name for Queen Mary is called what? Bloody Mary. Because she was a strong Roman Catholic. And now all these things that had started in England, she was the one who said, I'm going to put a kaboshko on that. And what she did is she killed tons and tons of Protestants at that time. I want to introduce you to two of my new friends. They've been dead a long time. First one, Hugh Latimer. Hugh Latimer is just, he's a a radical. I I, I spent this last week, so you have to kind of, I was down at a class, I'm taking classes at Trinity um, Evangelical Divinity School down by Chicago, and I took a class on the history of Christian preaching. This guy I like, Hugh Latimer. Just a great name too, isn't it? Hugh Latimer. Um, He he was born 1485, 1475, we're not sure. uh, And he was, and this guy was quite something, uh, he, he was an amazing preacher, and he wasn't afraid to say anything. Now, that gets you dead, usually, and it did for him, too. One of the things, he, when King Henry was around, he, was, he had a phrase he said, he started his sermon with King Henry by saying, Latimer, Latimer, he's speaking to himself, Latimer, Latimer, King Henry is listening. Latimer, Latimer. Almighty God is listening. And what that basically is saying is, I, I respect you, kind of king, but you ain't got nothing compared to Almighty God. So, I mean, statements like that in the king's presence were, you know, ways to get your body removed from your head. And, and he said it. And he, King Henry let him do it. I mean, it, it, it went well. It didn't go well, though, when, when um, Queen Mary came along. And he was eventually... He was eventually uh, tried for preaching, even though he wasn't a Roman Catholic, and he was uh, then put to death. I want to meet you, uh, let you meet a second one of my new friends. This guy is very similar, Nicholas uh, uh, Ridley. He was similar, a little bit younger, 1500 when he was born, and he died in 1555 also. Um, he had this kind of the same pattern. He actually was a Roman Catholic, uh, but knew nothing about how a person got to heaven, thought it was just by doing good things. All of a sudden, this Lutheranism came in where it's, oh, it's by Christ. They actually, I hate to say this, but they actually read their Bible. It's like, oh my goodness, that's incredible. Got on fire. Everything was going good until Queen Mary came along and had him also in trouble. Now, does anybody notice another similarity besides the fact that they look a lot alike? They do, don't they? They look kind of like, dude, same hat. What's that? died on the same day. that's more than a coincidence. They died on the same day. And if you have ever read a, a book, it's an old book, so it's not current at all, um, but it was called Fox's Book of Martyrs. And he had an engraving of this. and these two guys were put to death on the same day by burning. That's the way you put together a her- that's the, uh, the way you put to death a heretic. They viewed these two as heretics uh, opposed to the Catholic Church and they burned them to death uh, in October of uh, 1555, these two were put to death. There's an interesting story about this. These two were preparing for their death, and um, uh, Latimer's brother, excuse me, uh, Ridley's brother came to him, and this sounds cruel, but it actually was uh, 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 mercy. He came to him, and burning by fire, I'm not going to go into all the details, you want to read about it, but it's a horrible way to go. You may not go quickly. And in fact, uh, uh, Latimer went very quickly, and, but, but Ridley did not. It, it was actually a long time that it took him to die. His brother came to him and gave him a big pouch, like a purse kind of that size, and what it had in it was gunpowder to put around his neck. Now, that sounds horrible, but it really was to help him. Once that goes, you know, woof, you're done. And Ridley said, do you only have one of these? And his brother said, yeah, I do only have one of these. And so he gave it to Latimer. No, it sounds like, here, you take it. But really, it was an act of mercy saying, Latimer, I want you to have this. They did find another one later for, for Ridley. So both these men went to their execution. They walked down. They both had these things around their necks so that they'll burn quickly. They go there. They stand there. You can see all the people stand. Look at that. I mean, this is, of course, not a photograph, but it shows throngs and throngs of people. There's a, some type of magistrate or something there announcing their crimes against the state and especially against God, and, and, but they were followers of Jesus Christ, and they died for it. Now, why I bring these two guys up is because of something that was said right before they lit the flame. Hugh Latimer looked over at Nicholas Ridley and said this, Be of good cheer, Master Ridley, and play the man. For we shall this day light such a candle in England, as I trust by God's grace, shall never be put out. Right before they were put to death, right before they were put to death for the simple faith that Jesus Christ alone, I don't need to be a member of any church, Catholic church, any church, just trust in Jesus Christ. They were put to death for that. Right before they were going to be executed for that, they were given the opportunity to recant it. not They said, not only will you not be burned this day, but you will be set free and be able to go back to your families. And they said, we'll gladly go. We'll gladly go. So much so that Hugh Latimer looks at Ridley and calls each other a candle. Oh my gosh, I mean, that's amazing. I mean, that's amazing, something to die for. Someone looking at another person saying, you are like a candle, I'm going to be a candle that will never be able to be extinguished in England. Their death alone started a movement for centuries that kept going in England. In fact, our country was founded on... Puritanism, which is the Puritans were separatists from England that follow through the veins of these two guys. Now, why do I share this with you? Two reasons. One, these guys are my heroes. Seriously, these guys are my heroes. That they love Christ that much that they would gladly go through something like that a horrible death to leave this earth like that. This uh, next Sunday... We celebrate, and I use that word carefully, we celebrate and honor all of those people throughout the world that are undergoing persecution for their Christian faith. Next Sunday is International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church, and we'll, we'll talk about that next week. It's an amazing day. More Christians have died for their faith in the 20th century than all the other 19 combined. Do you hear that? We think it's all bad then. No, not in America, of course. Few, but not many. In other places in the world, it's more dangerous to be a Christian than anything else. More Christians are still dying for that. Secondly, though, the reason why, and it kind of bridges our gap with what we're going to talk about today, is, oh my goodness, think about this. Put this in context. Here these people are. They claim to be good followers of God, and they're burning people at the stake. What would cause a person to think that way? What would cause a person to, to do something like that? We're in a series right now on the Gospel of John. If you have your Bible with you, you can open it up to John chapter 9. We are in the ninth chapter of the Gospel of John, so if you want to go there, or there's these little booklets, you can open up to John chapter 9, or uh, there's an insert where you could follow along with what we're going, or you just look at the screen. Man, that's a lot of options. You can do whatever you'd like to do to follow along. We are in John chapter 9. And this, John chapter 9 is really one account, but we divide it into three different sections uh, just for time's sake. And so we are in, 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 in three different sermons or three different messages on John chapter 9, which is really one just longer account. I'm calling it uh, kind of like one act, but three uh, scenes, if you want to call it that. So there's three scenes to this. And I want to highlight the, those, the first two is just kind of a, as a review or, or if you haven't been here or if you just kind of get the feel for it, because it all kind of flows. So if we're going to start in Acts, or excuse me, we're going to start in, in scene number one, which I'm calling the Muddy Miracle. Get it, the muddy... Eh. No, no, I thought of it this morning. That was a good. One. All right, here we go. I just want to read this through. As he went along, that's Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, remember that? They thought, wait, there's something bad happened to this guy. I see, a guy is blind from birth, and they say, who sinned? Because obviously he must have done something bad, or his parents did something bad, that he would have got this way. Jesus corrects them. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. That's a key, important thing. This happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Very cool. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spat on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it in the man's eyes. Go, he told them, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means, uh, this word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. Where's the man, they asked? I don't know, he replied. Okay, so remember this is the whole thing. It's a drive-by. The guy does not. It's a drive-by healing. He does not ask. He does not ask to be healed. He just stand there begging, or whatever he normally does, and, and, and Jesus walks by, they're debating this theological concept of how bad things happen to people, and Jesus just, and it's a big wad, because when he made mud, makes mud, the guy's standing there blind, next thing you know, he's got cold spit mud in his eyes. Jesus says, go wash. He's thinking, well, I've got to do something here. I mean, I know I'm blind, but I've got to go do something. Got the mud thing. He goes to the pool and washes. When he washes it, he can see. Neighbors ask him questions about it. That's scene one, what I'm calling the muddy miracle. Scene two is the Gestapo interrogation. It is, man. This is is intense. You know, they got the light and the whole thing. I mean, it's intense. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been born blind. So the religious rulers of the day, the Pharisees, they bring this guy to him. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Uh Uh-oh. Not supposed to do any work on the Sabbath at all. Therefore, the the Pharisees also asked him how he received his sight. Okay, so it's, okay, we, you got the miracle thing here going? Great. And Corey did a great job about this last week. I listened to this on the way to Chicago and, I was blessed. I really, yeah, it was awesome. The, 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 they had all these rules about what to do and what not to do on the, on the uh, Sabbath. And so it said here, it said uh, they did it on the Sabbath. And then they asked him, how did he heal you? I mean, did he do anything? Or did he just kind of walk by and just you were healed? Or did he do any work whatsoever to heal you? Because if he did, ah, 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 that's bad. So then the, the guy says this, he put, he put mud on my eyes. And I washed and now I see, aha, we have rules against putting mud on people's eyes on the Sabbath. I guess because look at this, verse 16, some of the Pharisees said, this man's not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. I, I don't, Cor, was there rules about spitting? Could you spit on the Sabbath? I don't know. I mean, he did something that you couldn't do on the Sabbath. Sp- no mud. No mud making on the Sabbath. So you, just, you can't make mud. So Jesus knew that, and he was, gonna, he was out to, to to trash these guys by doing something that would be opposed to their, their written law, not God's law, not God's law, but the written law. Um, we know he's not from God. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others ask, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided, even among the Pharisees. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What do you have to say about the man? It was... It was your eyes that got opened, man replied, well, and this guy doesn't know anything really other than it's, remember he said the man named Jesus at first and now he's just going to take a shot. I, I think he's a prophet. The Jews did not, still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it now that he can see? Three questions. Is he your son? Uh, was he born blind and how can he see now? Number one, we know he's our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind, but how he can see or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of legal age, age, he will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were weenies. No, excuse me, that's the truth though. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That doesn't mean that they're just going to be nice, kindly escorted out of church. That meant they were going to be excommunicated from the Jewish faith. They were going to be taken out. You couldn't hang out anymore with this person. Their whole culture and way of life was being together, and they were going to be taken out, and they didn't want that to happen. That is why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. Ask him. A second time, they summoned the man who had been born blind, or excuse me, who had been blind, give glory to God, he said, we know this man is a sinner, and I love this guy's answer, he says, okay, okay, I'm not going to do the theology here, I don't know, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know, one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see, you religious people, put that in your theological pipe and smoke it, I don't know how this works, I don't know about this sin thing and that. Here's what I'm trying to get through your thick skull. I couldn't see. This guy, Jesus came, did the mud thing. I see. I'm not making any other claims than that. I don't know anything else. So then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I already told you how he did that. And you didn't listen. Listen, 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 listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? Can you imagine their face when he said that? Then they hurled insults at him. Well, you are this fellow's disciple. We're our disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man's answered. Now, I can just (laughs) say, now that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from. Ah, And yet he opened my eyes. (laughs) Listen to my logic here, all right? A, we do not know we, are, we know that God does not listen to sinners. B, he listens to godly men who does his will. C, nobody ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. D, you guys are idiots. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They are now ticked because the guy with the spotlight is, is, is ripping them apart. And they reply back, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? It, you know, that, that's not a very good argument. Yeah. Well, you're ugly. Mm. That's, their, that's their basic comeback. A course, said that real well last week. That's their, I got nothing. They got nothing. Oh, yeah, well, you're just ugly. Or whatever. You know, you're just, you're just a sinner. Which, by the way, is the same thing the disciples asked in the beginning, right? You are steeped in sin. Jesus said, no, it wasn't true. And they threw him out. Now, it could be that they threw him just out of the, where they were talking, but it also means they excommunicated this guy. This guy's life was from that point on going to be different because he was excommunicated from the synagogue, from their way of life. He was not to be talked to. He was not to be uh, conversed with. He was, just, he, was, he was thrown out. All right, scene three, what we're covering today, what I'm calling the rest of the story. Rest of the story. Starts in verse 35. Kind of I got it in six different things here. First of all, verse 35. Jesus had heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, this is a cool passage. Jesus hears that the guy gets thrown out. And he goes and finds him. It doesn't say, Jesus heard he got thrown out. Mm, bummer. And then the next time they bumped into each other. No, he went and looked for him. And he asks him the most ultimate question of all questions. He says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Because that's the most important question you can ever be asked. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? But he doesn't name him that. We'll see why in just a second. He says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Listen to the guy's response. It is awesome. He says, and I love it, it's like a five-year-old. He says, who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Isn't that a great heart? Now, you've got to really picture it, too, because what has happened to this guy? He's just gotten thrown out of the synagogue. His whole way of life is going to be changed. I don't know. He doesn't, doesn't say whether or not he was uh, married at this time, had a family, probably being a blind person as a beggar, probably wouldn't have been. Now he can see. You know, hey, I can see now. Come on, girl, let's go out. And he's got this whole life, <laughs> he's got this whole life ahead of him, and he just got cut off from his culture. He comes by, Jesus finds him. And notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't, Jesus comes and says, Do you believe in the Son of Man? You know, you see what the blind man doesn't say? He says, Oh yeah, you, you, yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for cleaning me up. Yeah, great. I can see now, but great. All I can see is that I'm cut off from everything. Thanks a bunch. Doesn't say that. Doesn't have that kind of heart at all. He's got a heart, he's got a heart that says, God, you're in control. You're in control. He's starting to believe what is said about him that I was even born blind for a reason, and I'm okay with that. And I'm okay with being thrown out of the synagogue because I've tasted something here. Let me just stop right here and just throw that at you. Uh, just very important, quick application point. Are you there? Am I there? Do you, do you view things in your life when they come in? Ah, uh, can't believe this. Thanks a lot, God. And God's got this pla- path, and it takes these curves different places, but ultimately, same as a blind man, therefore his glory and your joy. is. Do you have that view, or do you have a view like, oh, I'm going along this thing, kicking and screaming? This guy's got, got it right. I, I uh, asked for a name for this guy a couple weeks back, and uh, C- uh, Katrina Sorensen. Is she here in the service? I thought I saw her. Maybe she was here first service. She, what? No? Upstairs? No? Oh, right there. There you go. Uh, she said, we should call him Ret for retina. Huh? That's pretty good. Yeah. So, um... So anyway, we named him Rhett. He's just a great guy. So Rhett is a beautiful, I forgot to mention that first service. So I'm sitting there thinking, who is Rhett, you know? We use the first service kind of as a practice service, so, you know, if you... <laughs> forget wedding announcements and... Uh, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. We love the first service. It's wonderful for those of you who get up that early. So... This guy's got a beautiful heart. Look where it goes from here. Jesus then says to him, and Jesus, oh, man. Uh, you know, I, I know it's going to date me by using this phrase, but Jesus is just hip, okay? I, I know you're going, hip, what is that? Uh, that's, that's a phrase that those of us in my generation meant really like a cool daddy. Uh, what would be a, there you go. I heard a few people that would understand that one, yeah. Um, What would be a phrase now? Like it's bad. Bad is good now. So Jesus was really bad. (laughs) But unfortunately, Jesus is really bad is also horrible theology, so I'm not going to say that. (laughs) Look at the way he answers this guy's question. The guy's question is, who is he? Tell me so I can see him. And here's his answer. His answer is, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Ain't that cool? I, I just think, instead of just saying, I, I'm him, he says, the, the one you're speaking with right now. And you can see Rhett kind of going, Oh, dude, you! <laughs> that would have been an awesome moment for the light bulb to go off in Rhett's head. He just would have been like, Whoa! Look at how he responds. Then the man said, Lord, and he calls him Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. That's the only time in the Gospel of John. We're going to see it in a few other places in the Gospels, but the only time in the Gospel of John that anyone worships Jesus. See, the only, the only person in the Gospel of John who worships Jesus is, the, is Rhett, the blind guy who got his sight. And he worships him. And I, I, you know, I have to use a little bit of your speculation here, but you can just see him, boom, he's just down on the ground. And he's, he's sobbing. But it's the, it's the sobs of pure joy and relief and release. And he's letting it all hang out. And here's this guy at his feet. And it's beautiful. And you've got to think through the whole journey Think through the spectrum of where this guy came from. He just, uh, you know, a day or two ago, he was walking, excuse me, he was standing there and these guys are walking by him having this theological discussion about who sinned. I'm sure he'd heard that a ton. Great. I'm the example of another person's theological discussion. And and they're walking by all of a sudden, mud, cold, you know, maybe, what is it, 98.6 degree mud (laughs) hits them. Because it's Jesus' spit and it, is that the right temp? Yeah, whatever. And, and uh, you know, wash that off. Can see. Goes through the interrogation. The verdict is, get out of here. You're a sinner steeped in sin from birth. Get out of here. They hate him. The establishment hates him. Don't underestimate that. The establishment hates him. Goes from there. Jesus finds him. He says, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he says, I believe. He falls on his face. It's such a beautiful story. This whole John chapter 9 has the amazing effect of not only being a true story, but also as a beautiful parable of what it means. It's just a beautiful thing. I wish, I wish this thing ended in verse 38. I wish it did. But it doesn't. Verse 39. Because there's a frightening a side effect to Jesus' healing. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. That's a frightening verse given the context of what's happening. you got this event happening and you see two very different responses. You see a guy who couldn't see. In the world's eyes, he was poor as all get out. Just a beggar physically disabled, can't work, and yet he's the one who sees, you got people who've been educated, they were the religious rulers in the day, there was no place on earth like being a Pharisee in Jerusalem during this time that you were looked upon as being the most educated and the wisest religious ruler in the world. And they don't get it. And they miss it. When Christ comes, division happens amazingly. It's how you respond to Jesus Christ. How are you do you respond to Jesus Christ? Let me give you an analogy here. I think this worked for service. We'll try it again. We'll see. If it doesn't just uh, email, uh, email somebody other than me on the back of your worship folder. The, the See, I didn't say your name this week, Cor. But you could email core at come too. Think of it like this: you got this box, and in this box, big box, I guess, you, you have a bunch of bugs. You just throw a bunch of different kinds of bugs in there. And you got your little bugs, itty-bitty bugs, you got your medium-sized bugs, and you got your cockroaches in there. You get big old cock. you know, the cockroach kind of thing. And the the, the cockroaches, because of who they are, they kind of rule the place, you know? They just are. They're just cockroaches, and that's what they do. And so they're, they're ruling this whole thing, and the whole thing is in darkness where bugs like to be, and they're doing what bugs ever do, but there's a hierarchy here going on. All of a sudden, you come on the flashlight, click, click the flashlight, and go into the corner. There's certain bugs that are very attracted to light. Little, little, bitty bugs, medium-sized bugs. Oh, man, can't wait to get to light. But the cockroaches, have you ever flipped on a light and seen the cockroaches? They scatter. They run. Christ comes. Christ is the flashlight. People that seem necessarily important when the light of Christ is shined, what happens? What happens? Are you attracted to him? Or does the light repulse you? While this is happening, while the guy is on his face, as presumably, bubbling away, while he's saying, Lord, I believe... There's Pharisees standing there. They hear it. They hear Jesus say this statement about, guess what? Some people who were blind now see. Because this guy went from being physically blind and spiritually blind to then becoming physically uh, sighted to now becoming spiritually sighted. He had it all, although he had nothing in this world because he was cut off from his people. But he had everything. The Pharisees are there, and Jesus said, not only will the blind receive their sight, he says, those who think they see, guess what? They're going to know that they're blind. The light has come on and they're going to be repulsed to it. Look at how they respond. They respond by saying, some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what? Are we blind too? And this answer is very frightening. Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim that you can see, your guilt remains. Case in point, Pharisees, you claim to be the religious rulers of the day. You claim to be the one of God's spokesmen. You claim to be the one that can can rightly judge what God is doing. God himself, in the second person of the Trinity, Christ, came to earth, healed someone, and you just called him a sinner steeped at birth and denied it. You have missed it. You claim you can see. If you do not claim you can see, maybe I'd cut you some slack for what you just did to this guy, but you, 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 you claim to see. So guess what? You're guilty of that sin. It's a grievous sin. Isaiah chapter 5 talks about this idea and that, that there's a terror and a complete utter darkness of spiritual Blindness. Isaiah 5, Isaiah the prophet is speaking and he says, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. He's talking about God being my loved one. He says, my loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. So picture this: God is creating this huge uh, 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 place to, for a vineyard, and he's, he's made it in the fertile hillside. He's done everything right to make it happen beautifully. And then it says, "Then He looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yield only yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard." Listen to this condemning verse. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? Whoa. I've done everything I could. I've done everything here. If this vineyard does not give fruit, it's not my fault. When I looked for grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I tell you, and what I'm, Uh, Now I tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall, and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord, and Isaiah explains the parable now, the vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are the garden of his delight. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, For righteousness, but heard cries of distress. That passage could not be more true than Jesus Christ standing there with this guy who's got sobs, and I'm sure by now there's snot coming out just how excited he is. He's laying there, and these religious rulers are behind him being sarcastic. What, what, what? What are we blind? Yeah, you are blind. I tell you, there's nothing in my life that scares me more than religiosity. Religiosity scares the daylights out of me. It is a way that you can choke off God in the name of God. Those of you who, are, uh, those of you who are, uh, have been to church more than once, you're in danger for this. I'm glad there are people here who have never set foot in a church. You can be like the blind guy. You can get it. Those of us who have been around church and been around the Bible and everything, we have a danger of becoming these Pharisees. We have a danger of becoming people who are completely spiritually blind. And we do it in the name of God. It scares me. I hope it scares you. It should terrify you, actually. That you can become that sarcastic that when Isaiah says, what more could I possibly do Take it all the way to Jesus. Now, Jesus Christ standing here, he heals a guy, does a miracle right in front of him. They deny it. They run away from it. They heap insults on the guy and they call Jesus Christ God Almighty. They call him a sinner. Let me close by going back through this real quickly. There's two people here. There's the blind man how does he respond? He responds with his heart. He responds in a way that says, Lord, I believe. He falls at his feet and worships. Be that guy. Be that guy. And then there's these Pharisees. The Pharisees were theologically astute. They were well-read. They were educated. They were wealthy. They, had, they looked great on the outside. But they're blind. I asked a question a little while back. I said, how could that whole crowd of people be there? How could... How could they burn Ridley and Latimer? How could people do that? Because they're blind. They're blind. They're completely blind. And the worst part of it is, they did it in the name of God. They they claimed that they could see. What, what, What more could God do? Let me ask you that question. What more could God do for you? Whatever circumstance you're in, I don't care where you're at in your spiritual journey. I don't care if you've known Christ for... 50 years, or if you are coming in here and you're like the blind guy, it's the first time you ever heard this stuff. It doesn't matter. What more could God do for you to make himself clear to you? Oh, you know what? If I, Sure, I've got the Bible and I've got Christian friends and I'm hearing this sermon, I've heard sermons, but that's not enough. What would be enough? Well, if, if I could just talk to Jesus and he would talk back to me, that'd be enough? They had that. They had that you got enough. You got plenty. What is it right now where you're at that tipping point where you're seeing in your life, you're seeing some darkness develop. You're seeing some bitterness or you're seeing some anger or you're seeing some areas of, that you used to be obedient and you're saying, nah, I'm just kind of fart around with this sin. Whatever, somehow you're getting darker and darker. And he say, well, if God would show me more of himself, what are those areas in your life where you need or you think you need God to do more. And the reality is, just like Isaiah says, what more could have been done for my vineyard than what I've done? What more do you need? What more do I need? I hope it scares you. I I, I mean, I love this story. I love the blind man. He's one of my favorite guys. I want to so be like him. I'm so attracted to him. And I am so repulsed of these Pharisees. It's both a joyful terror that I'm hoping you're seeing this morning. And now this, this will suck all the life out of you. Let's pray together. Jesus, I'm so thankful that there are two, in fact, there are two people in this story, that there's the blind man. Just like it said in the beginning of this chapter, it said that you did these things, this happened so that the work of God, the glory of God could be revealed in him. And I can just see this man at your feet saying, I would have it no other way. I went through those years of being blind. It was beautiful. I got kicked out of the synagogue. It was beautiful. I got to worship at the feet of Jesus. God, there, there are many of us in this room right now who right now need to take our life circumstances and worship at the feet of Jesus. Maybe perhaps for the first time. To trust you as our sin bearer. To say, Jesus Christ, I, I will let you take my sin. The great exchange, I will take your righteousness. You can have my sin. I want that. I want to trust in you now. Maybe it's not for the first time. Maybe it's just that we need to have you uh, be that light in our lives where we move back towards you. And I pray for that, Lord, that you would do that. But, Lord, there are also Pharisees in this story. God, religion kills. Religion kills every time. Losing the desire to want to be a follower of Jesus and just get caught up in religiosity will kill us. God, protect us from this. Holy Spirit, I want to give you freedom. We ask you, we beg you that you would come and give a special visit in this room. And if there are areas in our lives where we're even starting to take a step in that direction right now by your spirit, would you make it very clear? I pray that it would even hit us hard. And that's just a graceful thing to turn us around from it. If there are areas in our life where we're becoming hypocritical, where we're becoming bitter, where we're becoming disobedient in areas we know you want us to be in, whatever those areas are, whatever your spirit is speaking to us, God, would you just take us and push us and even shove us back in the right direction? Because I would hate to see anyone in this room end up, at the end of their day, as more like the Pharisee than like the blind man. So Jesus, would you do that in here? Bless us now, Lord, too, as we move to a time of worship and communion. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.